Hey, you're listening to Block Thinking with Werner Puchert. This week we speak to Andrew LaKenta, a good friend of mine and also a PhD candidate in experience design at the Texas AM University in the US. Andrew makes a yearly pilgrimage to Poland to attend the College of Extraordinary Experiences at an awesome castle just outside Wroclaw. It's here at Czochar that Andrew and myself got to sit down to discuss experience design and why a bunch of crazy, creative people running up and down the stairs at a castle here in Poland. Andrew deep dives one of the workshops he's done, sharing some of the structure and the methodologies behind the thinking, and I hope it's insightful and gives you a better idea of what happens at the college and also what experience design really means. Then, before we jump into the show, don't forget my good mate Andy Wojnarowski launched a special design thinking masterclass in Udemy, and he offered you a special discount code. So, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about design thinking, head over to Udemy, find Andy's course, just type in design thinking, you'll see him there. And then when you sign up for the course, enter the promo code BLOCK, that's B-L-O-C, thinking, and you'll get a special discount. As always, thanks for listening. I'll stop flapping lips and let's get into the show. My name is Andrew Lacanienta, currently a uh, doctoral candidate at Texas A&M University, uh, wrapping up a PhD in the Department of Recreation, Park and Tourism Sciences. But largely, it's just a PhD in experience design. I don't know anything about parks or recreation, really. And how I got there, I did, um, I did my undergraduate degree at Brigham Young University in Utah. And their program used to be a recreation program. It was just recreation management. And it was moved into the business school. And uh, in an effort to rebrand, they're now the Department of Experience Design and Management. And so that's where I did my undergrad. Um, and really just like fell in love with the idea of experience and what experience can do for people. I still remember very vividly, actually. Um, after doing my undergrad there, I did my master's and have just moved on to do my PhD. Um, and so right now I'm just doing a lot of research and, um, and teaching a course on experience design as well um, with aspirations to be a university professor uh, hopefully next fall. What is your personal motto or like value proposition? Like why would people want to engage with Andrew? Like what makes Andrew special? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, f- first and foremost, I guess there's not a lot of academics in the experience design space uh, at all. In fact, it's such a new space. And um, I think a lot of the, and this is not to, discredit anyone that's already doing experience research. I think there's a lot of people that have probably been doing experience design, like in quotes research for probably a number of years, but only recently do we have this term experience design and are we using it? Like this isn't psychology theory. This is now experience design theory that we're creating. Um, and I feel like, I guess all humility aside, I don't know that we are starting to create theory that's specifically for experience design. Like it's not borrowed uh, or adjusted or taken from other people, but it's specifically for experienced designers. How do you define experience design? What is it? So I feel like there's a lot of things, right? Because experience design is is not just in entertainment, right? Experience design is used in, in culinary arts, in education, uh, in a variety of different spaces. So when I think about looking at like a bank experience versus a classroom experience, for example, those both need to be designed for outcomes, right? Yeah. 
So I think the intentional design of any given experience, I don't like to use the word experience to define experience, but but using intentionality to create something with a, an outcome, like with, with a goal, right? But it's not just that, because I think sometimes that's service design. I mean, we met, we both met Joe Pine, and there's something that he said about, like, there's designing for time well saved, mm. and then there's designing for time well spent. When you're thinking about creating interactions where it's time well spent, yeah. you're starting to step into the world of experience design. It's not about convenience yeah. anymore. Not just about convenience, yeah. I guess. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of, of importance to that. And like going back to that definition that we started on earlier of like the intentional design of X for certain outcomes, I think that's service design, right? Yeah. So I think we take that and we just level it up one round, right? It's like the intentional design of X for intentional outcomes, but it's done with pizzazz. It's done with a little bit of extra, you know, and that sounds like kind of cheesy almost, but that's what people want now. That's what people want to engage in. They don't want, I guess it can be argued most of the time, we don't want to just order food at a restaurant and have someone bring it to us. That's great. Service quality is great, right? And in order for a great experience, you need good service quality. You have to have a clean restaurant. You have to have good food that's timely and nice weight staff, et cetera. But there's much more to it than that. It's like, what do you want people to say when they leave your restaurant? Right? Do you want them just to say the food was good? I mean, that's nice, right? And that would be good service quality is like good food. But, but I think when we're thinking about experience design, it's like, what do I want my people to say when they leave? And then what do I need to do to design an experience that's going to have them say those things? Maybe I need to ask you in this way, like, is there any example of good experience design that you could probably quote for us? I think one thing, if we're looking like at practical examples of like things that people are doing of what experience design is, because sometimes it's easier to look at an example than try and like give a definition, right? Yeah. Um, so like Werner, you and I, the reason we even know each other is because of the College of Extraordinary Experiences where we met yeah. and have seen each other con- continually for and three years. In fact, years. we are sitting and having the conversation in a castle in Poland, right? Exactly, which is fitting, right? Um, but when you look at this, the, a normal conference, right? You pay money, uh, you sign up, you get there. They give you a name badge um, at like a at a queue in a kiosk or something. Uh, you look at the schedule, you attend some classes, you learn some things, and uh, go to like maybe a mixer or a networker event, and then you go home. And sometimes you meet someone that's nice. Sometimes you learn some things, but largely it's it's just a pretty basic experience. Uh, not very memorable, not very meaningful. Uh, sh- surely, well, maybe not surely, but but not very often transformative. Um, you rarely leave a conference wowed, right? Yeah. The College of Extraordinary Experiences, however, is a conference that it's not an unconference, right? It's still a conference at the core. It's still a gathering of people with the goal of disseminating knowledge, but they do it in an extraordinary way, hence the name, I guess, right? Yeah. So one example is getting picked up at the airport. You often see folks that are standing there with their cardboard sign, you know, that says, or maybe it's an iPad, which is a little fancier, but it says, oh, Mr. Smith, right? And when Mr. Smith comes down the escalator, he sees that person, they shake hands and they go into the limo or whatever. At the College of Extraordinary Experiences, when you go to the airport, you're not going to see a guy in a suit, in a suit holding an iPad with your name on it. There are goblins 
of course it's at a castle, right? So it's appropriate that there are goblins on theme with this experience who are waiting for you at the castle. And they're not holding an iPad either with your name on it. They're running around like yelling your name and uh, possibly making you feel, you know, a little bit embarrassed slightly, but very on brand with what the college is doing. Right. And so that's memorable. It's extraordinary that, that, that touch point of that journey is intentionally designed with the outcome of people being like, wow, that was the most memorable like airport pickup I've ever had. That's like what we wanted them to say after they leave that experience. Right. And so it was intentionally designed in that way. No one's going to get picked up by the guy with the iPad and say like, wow, that was so cool. You know, like even if they give you water, was that an iPad pro? Right, exactly, right? Was that an iPad Pro? I mean, I think that was the new one. Even if the car is nice and the driver is great and they give you a bottle of water, I mean, that's great service design, right? But experience design is a whole other level. The two words that we've been kind of sharing a lot the last few days, it's like meaningful and memorable. Yeah. Right. On the one side, I'm very interested to see how the experience of the goblins can get translated into a business practice Mm -hmm. like how can i not take what we've learned here at the castle and then inject that into the service design or the experience design that i do but then also you go back to your academia right and 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 you doing research now what is it that you're trying to to establish with this theoretical research that you're doing like you know why why should that be done in the first place like what what is the meaning of that yeah good question so i mean really When you think about theory, right, and creating a theory, theory is just a lens that we can look through um, and hopefully apply to some situation, right? So if I have this theoretical framework, then I say, okay, well, I've got this theory that says that A leads to B. So if I use that in a conference setting, then A should hypothetically lead to B. Now, if I take that same theory and I apply it to a birthday party, A should still hopefully lead to B. So the point of creating theory is that as a field of experience design, as we're just in our infancy, starting to grow and grow and grow, that we build a theoretical framework, create theory, so that we can then test it, right? We're taking something that is supported by past academics and past uh, literature that's been you know, published and vetted by a lot of people, and we're saying, for us, this is what this means, and there's this theoretical framework. Now let's put this in the hands of the people on the ground, and let's use it. And now a lot of the times practitioners are already doing those things, but, and then they read a theory and they're like, oh, well, I do that all the time. So this of course makes perfect sense, but theory gives it that backbone, if you will, or the container or the skeleton, um, that then says, okay, theoretically A should lead to B. Well, let's do it and let's test it out. So I think theory is a great starting point to say, let's bring all this information together. Let's see what, why A leads to B, and then we're going to test it in the field yeah makes sense to, to what you said in the beginning like I can I cannot go study this right I can go study experience design yeah absolutely and, and, and ultimately when I graduate and you've taught me all the magic what kind of job do I do mm, that's a good question so I think this sounds like a cop out but I mean you can get any kind of job you want really I mean if you the thing is is I think as more and more universities start to have actual departments and programs of experience design, with that is going to come job titles that include experience design. I mean, it's it's not 
Well, maybe it is a little uncommon, but it's starting to become more common that there's a CXO, right? CXO is starting to become a thing. And lots of people have experienced design-related positions in their companies now. I mean, UX is one thing, right? And CX is one thing, but I mean... EX is starting to be like a real experience design, experiential marketing and other things like that um, are going to be opportunities for jobs. Now, that said, I think that whether or not you have a degree in experience design and I don't know if that's relevant or not, but you can sell yourself in a variety of different positions, right? If you're if you're working as a manager, you can create experiences for your people for your employees, the people under you, that it's going to make you a valuable asset to the company because you're going to be able to design a culture or design a team or whatever it may be um, in a way to achieve certain outcomes, whether that's working together with team cohesion, whether it's finishing a project or things like that. But if you know how to intentionally design those types of experiences, um, the satisfaction that they're going to get in that team is going to help them work better, for example. Or if you're if you're a school teacher, right, just a, an elementary or a high school teacher, you can use experience design to create more meaningful classroom experiences for your students, which is in turn going to help them learn better or maybe be more motivated to learn. I mean, we have an example of, of someone who's part of our circle of friends here at the castle, who is an English teacher. And he, I spoke to him last night and he said that he's actually using some of the learnings from experience design to enhance his way of teaching people. Mm. So he's, he's making his... He's not, he's not doing something different now. He's still someone who teaches. Yeah. But now he's using experience design to make the process of teaching more immersive. I know that recently or a while back, you kind of went to speak at the conference and then you uh, did some kind of lab stuff there. I don't know if that rings a bell with you. I think you went and there was like a train station. Oh, uh, yeah. So can you maybe talk a little bit about that uh, event and then the the kind of... Because you, you could have just been a speaker, right? Right. But you actually created an experience there. Maybe if yeah. you talk us through that, I think that could sure. be kind of, it gives an idea of what it is that you kind of focus on. Sure, yeah, that'd be great. So the conference is the uh, Experience Design and Management Conference at Brigham Young University. Uh, they're in Provo, Utah. Um, and in my opinion, they're on the, f- they're on, you know, the forefront of experience design as far as academics go. They, they're, the, like I said earlier, the Department of Experience Design and Management now in the Marriott School of Business. Um, and they're really doing innovative things. Anyways, they have a yearly conference. The conference in and of itself that year was very immersive in the sense that they teamed up with a, a company that does the Questival. It's called Cotopaxi is the company. And the Questival is a 24-hour um, service-based scavenger hunt. So there's an app and you and your team do all of these different service opportunities and things all around the state um, and you receive points and then whoever has the most points wins. Um, So BYU teamed up with them and created an app and all of the uh, learning essentially was disseminated through the app. So you would go to these different points and do different challenges and learn things, etc. So we got invited to Keynote for that, which for any normal Keynote, right, you could just make some slides and you could stand up there and talk to them about experience design, how cool it is, and tell them that everybody should do it in all their respective fields. Um, but we didn't want to do that. We wanted to exemplify the principles we were talking about by staging an experience for them. So what we did 
is uh, we wanted to take people on a journey. And we decided that a good way to go on this journey would to be uh, via a train. People enjoy trains most of the time. I mean, yeah. who doesn't? I like a good train. Yeah. So what we did is we took this giant auditorium and split it into two uh, with, a, with a big barrier. And on one side was the train station. So at the beginning of the day when they got there, um, instead of just like reg- checking in, getting their name tag, and then um, going to the keynote, they uh, checked in and they received a uh, train ticket. And in the train ticket, it had the time and the place for the keynote. And that was actually a bit later in the day. Um, but when they arrived, they had they checked in at the table and uh, they were given some supplies for a question or a prompt that they had to fill out. So they walked inside the train station was the first bit of the room. So they walk into the train station. Um, the room was transformed, literally looked like a train station. Um, we had pictures of trains. We had printed off some big um, like time boards, you know, like departure boards and arrival boards and tracks and stuff like that. And, um, which trains are going where, etc. Had some train noises playing in the background, um, etc., etc. So we transformed this room into a train station, essentially. Um, so they went in, they filled out their prompt, and then when they were ready, they came over and they uh, stepped onto the train platform. Now, I, I use this example because it's something so simple and so silly but made such a big difference. All we did was we put a table on the ground and covered it with some brown, uh, like, cloth or something but the physical manifestation of stepping like a couple of centimeters up onto the top of this table that was without legs to step onto the platform was like i don't want to use the word transformative but like so like entering the magic circle yeah like you stepped up onto this platform and you automatically felt like oh i'm about to board a train Anyway, so they, they step up on the platform. There's a train conductor there with his hat on. He stamps their, you know, their ticket or punches it, lets them on the train, and they pass through into the, into the next room where the keynote is going to start. So when they pass through, the chairs have been um, set up so that they're like a train. So they're facing each other like you would do on a train, um, and they're in these rows. And the room, you're meant to be stepping outdoors onto the train, so the room smells like... Um, what's the word, like evergreen trees, right? When they go in there, there's this train sound playing in the background, like the just kind of like, you know, waiting, hissing noise or whatever. So they all sit down and we preface kind of what we we're going to do. Welcome, you know, to, to the train. And we told them about the train because it has historical significance in, in Utah where like the transcontinental railroad met. And we started with this narrative about the train and how it was important. Um, and we won't get into the gritty details, but essentially we use the train as the theme to kind of take them on this journey. And each time the train um, stopped, we would stop in a new land where we would then disseminate some information about that land, right? And, and th- that land had to do with experience design principles. So one was like the land of engagement. We talked about what engagement was and how to facilitate engagement. Then we got on the train and they covered their eyes with eye masks we gave them. And we would turn on some lullabies and they would sleep through the night on the night train as we went to the next thing. And while they were sleeping, we moved the entire room. We'd change it every time. Man, okay. So we'd take out tables. We would add like snacks. We would um, change all of the posters on the wall. So every time they went to sleep, we completely changed the room as best as we could. We had like a, a slew of volunteers, like 35 volunteers every time. So yeah, so we took them through this journey by essentially having them experience it, right? We had them experience engagement. We had them experience all the different principles we talked about throughout the thing. And then at the end, 
they left and they had the uh, these train whistles that we kind of left them as memorabilia and a card that kind of debriefed some specific things that we had done that, so that they could take this back and use it. Um, but to kind of wrap up the example, it's just the difference between a keynote that stands up and could teach you really valuable information, right? You could write it down, you could take it back to your corporation, you could use it right away and make a million bucks or whatever. But that might not be particularly memorable, right? You might not be particularly jazzed to share that information um, or to use it if it's not immediately relevant. But what you can do with experience design is you can take information that people might not be super excited about in that very moment But as they experience it for themselves, like, wow, look at what this can do, then it gives them an opportunity to really, I don't know, latch onto it and apply it in their own lives. Now, that doesn't mean you can't change every like corporate board meeting into a train adventure, right? And that's not what that's that's what what you're saying. Yeah. And I don't think that experience design always has to be as um, extravagant, maybe, is the word. Because if you think about it, if all the experiences we design are extravagant, we're going to get tired really fast. There's room for, for mundane experiences in our lives. But I think the idea behind it is that we're creating something that is user-centered, that's intentional, um, with focused outcomes. It's not just the same everyday thing. You used the example of the platform of stepping into the magic circle. Um, sometimes people think that it's the props and all the stuff that you put up that creates their experience, but it's yeah. actually the ability of taking people and letting them into the magic circle yeah. and then making sure that, that the, the cohesion of that magic circle kind of remains, right? You're not breaking down the circle because as soon as you you break the circle and people kind of fall out of the experience you have you, people start feeling awkward or you lose right, them a little right. bit now do you have some thoughts around that magic circle idea like how do you get people to ease into that or you know do you have a trick up your sleeve or is it still something that you you're exploring yourself yeah well so i think first just to explain the magic circle to give context so the magic circle from what i understand was originally a term that they used in game design Um, and entering the magic circle is essentially leaving behind the world that you're currently in and entering into this new world so stepping onto the platform for example they were not only leaving like the university and the train station, but they were entering into this new immersive world that was no longer, you know, Utah or whatever state they were in at the time. So I think there's a couple of things that are important with creating and maintaining um, a magic circle. I think a magic circle, in order to create it and to, to use it, there needs to be a distinct transition. There needs to be something like stepping up on that platform or receiving, like at the college, we receive robes when we get here. Or you enter the castle, right? The castle is a huge magic circle. Um, but there needs to be some type of thing that triggers or that distinctly says, like, you are now entering the magic circle. Whether it's putting on a robe, maybe it's some type of initiation ritual or something like that. But that needs to be important. I think after that, one of the keys, this goes back to Pine and Gilmore stuff, about... Um, harmonizing positive cues and eliminating negative cues once you're inside that magic circle everything needs to support whatever theme is going on in that magic circle i mean like you said the smells and the train noise and that kind of stuff yeah so i mean all those little things i mean 
even even frankly having a projector in that room of the train station that was a negative cue right no train station is going to have a projector and project a big thing and we did that obviously because we were at a conference but i think if you're going to maintain a magic circle you need to maintain the immersion they need to feel like they're in a different space uh, the way that we operationalize theme is a different um, theme is a something that suggests a different time place or set of circumstances so you're essentially in a different time place or set of circumstances once you're in the magic circle everything should contribute to that and anything that's not contributing to it should be removed because if you're you know on in some type of experience where and all of a sudden oh, let's see what's a good example i mean so there's the example of a. Uh, of the MRI. Are you familiar with this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this just briefly, the, the guy that did created or worked on the MRI, right? Like realized that it was very scary for pediatric patients. So he worked with some folks to create a better experience with the MRI by theming it and using stickers and other things to change it. Especially so for kids, it, right? So like super kid scary. The kids come in there, they need to lie still and then this big, big ass machine, right? That's right, scary. right. So they create a narrative and a story around it so that the kids are engaged and they're having a good time. They're, they're not worried about the machine. They're more worried about the pirate now that's, you know, hiding under the boat or something. But they're, so they're in that magic circle, right? And I'm not sure what type of entering the threshold of the magic circle they did there, but they're in that. And, um, and it gives them reason to be able to feel safe, right? And to be able to participate in the activity as, as you, we need them to. But as soon as a doctor walks in in his scrubs or a nurse walks in 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 his or her scrubs, then what? Right. Then everything is is for naught. Yeah. Um, The the kid will automatically feel like, oh, what the heck? Right. Like, hold on. I'm not on a pirate ship. There's there's a a doctor here. There's not doctors on a pirate ship. And so immediately come out of the magic circle, the immersion's broken. That's why you probably need the nurse in some kind of, I mean, you don't have to be in an elaborate costume, but you might have something that alludes to the pirate theme. Right? Yeah, at least like an eye patch, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, or a peg leg, you know? It's like something, something to add to the narrative, something to help keep things going. Yeah. I mean, I take my kid to the doctor time to time and they kind of mm-hmm. coax, curse him with like stickers or some toys or stuff and he doesn't right, buy right. into that at all. Yeah. But that's because he, there's no narrative. You know, you can dress the doctor up with a peg leg, he's not going to buy into it. But when, right. once you have the story there yeah. and there's this little circle of, of, of trust, then, then it gets sold easier, right? That's yeah. the reason for using these things. Yeah, it's key. Great. Uh, so the, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is like you, you came here to, to Poland and come and visit us for the third time here in Central Europe. And then also you ran a workshop here that was really mm. practical um, around um, experience design. And I, th- I, I really wanted to talk to you about that because I think the three elements that you kind of highlighted in your workshop is something you can practically apply today. You don't yeah. have to go study in the States as much as we want to. We'll join you there soon. As, I'll just uh, keep soon going here. as soon as Mr. Trump lets me in, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the thing is, um, I really, if, if you may, can you share those three elements? And maybe um, I think it'll add nicely to the narrative. You can just explain the what each element and then how you actually brought that to life within sure. the workshop. Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, before I even continue, I can't take any credit for the content behind this because this is so all of this information comes from the theory of structured experience that was a publication by uh if you were to look up the citation it's ellis freeman jamal and jiang 2008 
2017. Um, so they're the ones who work on the theory, and I work with Dr. Gary Ellis at Texas A&M right now, and so we're continuing to work on stuff with that, but just uh, for purposes of, of, you know, to make sure that proper people are... Credit the right people yeah. here, right? Anyways, so in the theory of structured experience, they talk about three specific experience types, and this comes from Pine and Gilmore stuff, if, if they're familiar. The experience um, economy, right? Right, yeah, experience economy. So the three experience types are engagement, absorption, and immersion. And in the theory, each of those different experience types is described, and they also have propositions that essentially say, if you do A, B, and C, then you will have a more you know, engaging experience or immersive experience. And so the workshop essentially provided, uh, you know, we walked the participants through three of those types of experiences and then debriefed with them what yeah. they each were. So the first one was an immersion uh, experience. Um, immersion experiences, uh, as defined by the theory, are experiences of action and reaction. So examples are like playing sports is often action and reaction. Um, things like fencing or playing chess, um, painting can often be like you're right. You're going to act and you're going to react and so on and so forth. There's skill involved. Yeah, yeah. So, so with those those examples, what we did is we took them down to the dungeon bar um, in the castle. Yes, there is a dungeon bar. Indeed, there in is the castle. And a wonderful dungeon bar. The du- yeah. Well, we'll leave, we'll that, leave that there. Yeah. So we took them down to the dungeon bar and uh, we had them mix some drinks. And with these mixing of drinks, first we did something very simple. So they just used, they poured in some ice, some juice and a spirit, and then they stirred it. They showed them this stirring method. That was it. Pretty easy. Then the next thing they did was a little bit more difficult. They taught them how to use a shaker and how to pour the shaker and how to do that appropriately and and add like a nice garnish. Okay. Um, Then after that, they made, they named their cocktail something that was meaningful for them. This name is the brew that is true. <laughs> personal to you. Like, don't just name it the blue drink. Although the blue drink looks nice. Um, but think about something personal to you. What is, if this is your cocktail that you're going to put in the bar tonight and someone's going to order that, why? Why is that personal to you? Okay. It wasn't just like Steve's cocktail, not just their name, but it was like a personalization. Yeah. So they, yeah, exactly. So the two propositions for immersion, immersion activities is you can facilitate like a basketball camp, right? But if you facilitate a basketball camp that is, um, that has a proper balance of challenge and skill, that's the first one. And second is personally relevant to people. It's going to be a better basketball camp than than your next door neighbor's basketball camp for just example's sake. Um, So those are the two propositions is if you have an experience that is largely action and reaction, you need to have a proper balance of challenge and skill, which is what we did with the leveling up, right? First we did some mixing of drinks that was really easy. You're just pouring and stirring. Then we tried something a little bit more difficult. You can, we're going to use a shaker. We could move forward and we could like smoke whiskey or something um, and just try more difficult things progressively. But the balance is important. And then we made it personally relevant to them by allowing them to name the cocktail something that was meaningful. So it wasn't just like, oh, here's my cocktail I made. But now it's a little bit more meaningful because they you know, gave it a name and it means something to them. Um, the, the second kind of experience is an engagement experience. And so that is an experience that includes an unfolding narrative or story. 
Um, which if you ask me, I argue that all good experiences should have a, a narrative or of, of some kind. And these, these experiences aren't mutually exclusive, right? There's not only sports yeah, experiences. Into yeah, the, yeah. They can have different elements, right? Yeah, and I would argue also that, you know, maybe a finely designed experience includes all three. Yeah. But anyways, I digress. So uh, unfolding narrative. Um, so what we did is we took them out uh, up the stairs into the well outside the castle. Um, and at the well, we, we talked a little bit about my life and some of the big decisions that I've made. And we tied it into a story of someone who had to make a big decision here at the castle. And it was actually related to this ghost story about the, the owner who actually decided to, to have his wife put to death for adultery and pushed her down the well. This legend comes from the 16th century. At this time, Joachim van Nostitz was the owner of the Choha Castle. He had a very beautiful wife named Ulrika. Ulrika had beautiful, long, curly blonde hair and beautiful, piercing blue eyes. Ulrika and Joachim loved each other very, very much. Now, Joachim was a messenger for the king and one day he was sent overseas. After two years, when Joachim returned home, and was welcomed by the servants on the bridge, they unfortunately had bad news. Joachim's wife had given birth to a son while he was away. Joachim went down to the marble chamber, where at the fireplace he reflected upon what to do. During this time period, the appropriate punishment for an unfaithful wife was death. He knew the custom. However, he still loved his wife and was not willing to put her to death. In the morning, however, he had come to make a decision. Love was overtaken by jealousy. Troubled with his wife's unfaithfulness, he ordered her to be put to death, according to the family tradition, which is to be thrown into the well. Her bastard child was to be trapped alive in the wall, above the fireplace in the marble chamber. Every so often in the inner courtyard now, Ulrika's ghost comes out of the well of unfaithful wives. She hurries to the marble chamber to find and appease her baby. Her ghost symbolizes death, disease, failure and poverty. From stories told by eyewitnesses, seeing her is quite an unpleasant experience. Her face is terrifying, and her cry and wailing are even worse. Legend has it that she is the figure of a long, blonde-haired woman, with a face that is cut and deathly, wearing dirty and torn clothes. Sometimes she even wanders through the forest, crying bloody tears. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you happen to meet her, you may be cursed with suffering throughout the rest of your life. Be careful as you wander through the castle at night, for you just might come upon the ghost of Ulrika as she searches for her baby, who they say is still trapped behind the fireplace in the marble chamber, and whose cry can still be heard today.
everyone could look down in the well. There was a skeleton down there. And we told this story about making decisions. And people were able to take a moment and think about their own decisions and what are some big decisions that they are dealing with right now. Um, and then we wrote those down on a piece of paper. But the three propositions for an engagement experience are three things that we can do to have a better engagement experience. Uh, first is to include a coherent story. So there's a coherent story. It's got a beginning, middle, and an end, right? And I'm not a professional on storytelling. But there's, you know, a climax. It's building up. You've got these hero's journey experiences. I mean, if you at least have those three elements in the basic story. Yeah, beginning, middle, and end, right? You're safe. So a coherent story is number one. Number two is that it's provocative. Um, and not like burlesque provocative, right? But yeah. we're talking about it provokes you to think. Okay, it provokes you to think about what you might do in that situation or why is this meaningful or important to you. It's not just a story about a guy at a castle, but it's about a guy at a castle who had a difficult decision, which we've all had, who had to kill his wife and then who like then walled the baby alive above the, you know, it's very provocative. It like stirs up some feelings, um, feelings of injustice or of this threat of loss or other things like that. So provocation is important in a positive way. Um, and then lastly is uh, self-relevance. So we had them think about their own decisions, right? That was, were similar to the guy who had to throw his, throw his wife down the well. So three things for a good engagement experience is coherence of a story, provocation, and personalization. After that, we took them up for their third experience, which is an absorption experience. Um, absorption experiences are uh, things like... Um, Sorry, let me back up. So engagement experiences, just some other examples are things like watching a play or having a conversation, reading a book. Those are some yeah. story-based yeah. experiences. Sorry. But um, absorption experiences are highly relaxing and pleasurable. Um, they're largely very multi-sensory focused. So enjoying a fine meal would be an absorption experience. Getting a massage is an absorption experience. Um, watching the sunset, just sitting and enjoying the sunset. Reflecting. Yeah. Yeah. So absorption experiences, um, we took them upstairs where we had created essentially the, the coolest, well, I didn't create it. Two other people created it. This awesome pillow fort of sorts. Yeah, the grown-up pillow fort. Yeah, the grown-up pillow fort, exactly. And their cocktails from earlier had been brought upstairs. Uh, we had some chefs who had prepared some nice snacks. Um, so we went inside this plush pillow fort. We laid down on these really comfy beds. There was nice music playing. And there was food and drink, so they could literally I mean, sense everything. There was touch, there was taste, uh, there was um, essential oils placed in the pillows for smell. Um, they saw the nice drapes and the lights inside. It was really a cool sensory experience. And they just had the opportunity to sit and be. They didn't need to think about anything. I didn't ask them to do anything. Um, and they just could enjoy sitting. It was relaxing, it was pleasurable. Um, so on and so forth. Uh, some of the propositions for um, absorption experiences um, include anticipation. So we need to build anticipation for things. How can we help people anticipate how good the food is going to taste or anticipate like how beautiful the sunset is going to be or how nice the massage is going to feel? Um, second is to help them to focus on the present. So they're focusing on now. They're not focusing on anything else. And with that comes the third one, which is forgetting about their worries. Yeah. Um, and we actually had them write down some uh, their worries and we burned them for a symbolic, you know, forgetting of your worries as we walked into the castle. 
um, forgetting your worries. And the, the third is a, is a behavioral, um, a behavioral expression of emotion. So a smile or like a wink or a thumbs up, some type of behavioral expression that you're having a nice time. And I think it's important without straying too far, but that those things should be spontaneous. You can't be like, Oh, like, are you having a good time? Why don't you smile for me? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But something that is spontaneous. Um, so again, so it's anticipation, facilitating anticipation, a focus on the present, forgetting worries, um, and behavioral expressions of emotion are how you can create this absorption experience. Um, and this is actually what I'm doing my dissertation on right now is these absorption experiences. And we found that largely the mo- one of the most important parts of an absorption experience is just being hands off. You don't want to bother people. Like, can you imagine if you were getting a massage and uh, every you know couple of minutes um, there was like a check in? They like turned on the lights and said, "Okay, sir, can you tell me like how's this going?" It's like a YouTube ad, right? Exactly. Oh my gosh, the YouTube ads, right? It's terrible. It totally pulls you out of the flow. So. As an experienced designer creating an absorption experience, you want to stage as much as you can beforehand. Prep everything before the experience starts because once it starts, you just need to get out of the way and let let things happen. Would you say those are the harder experiences to create? The absorption experiences? You know, because you have less control. You do. And I think that there is some truth to that. Um, engagement's easy, right? You have to tell a story. You have to be a good tor- storyteller, which is it could be hard. And for immersion experiences, you have to be able to facilitate a good balance of challenge and skill so there's no anxiety or boredom. But absorption is difficult because, yeah, you, you've got to kind of plan ahead yeah, and then just let your yeah, It's something speak. I've been struggling with because engagement, I think, for me, what I've learned is that if you're authentic, and I think you pull that off because with your... Um, workshop there's an element of authenticity that you shared with the group right mm-hmm. but then people kind of buy into it and they go into this into this flow but with absorption yeah. is something that i've been struggling with is like how do i get people into that experience and yeah and i think sometimes the designer ego you don't want to let go right exactly or you're nervous to let go right like just let this go it'll go its way mm-hmm. as long as people are kind of engaged because i mean i, I this is observation when i I didn't do your whole workshop because I had to pop out and do some other stuff. I mean, in fact, I had to go keep the door closed so the circle stays nicely, right? <laughs> right? So yeah. the guys were going into the tent yeah. and you kind of flicked on the music yeah. and the, all the participants stayed. Yeah. They were chilling out, they were hanging out, they were reflecting, just having a good time. Yeah. And uh, I think that is the hardest one to pull off. For sure. And I think it's because we're doers, right? People want to do. And so... When we're having an absorption experience, we want to like talk to them, right? We want to say like, oh, what are you feeling? What are you thinking about? Or we want to tell a story while it's happening. But the problem is, is if we're like demanding that action from them, or if we're telling a story that demands them to think and to process, then we're, we're missing the point, right? We're not allowing them to have a truly relaxing and mind mindful or mindless even experience because they're so focused on whatever it is we're trying to get them to do. So, yeah. The Block Thinking Podcast is brought to you with the support of Seed Cards, an inspirational creative tool for experienced design. About 80% of companies worldwide think they are customer-centric. Only 8% of their customers agree. Get inspired by the best customer experiences from leading brands such as Disney, Netflix, and Southwest Airlines. Seed Cards will challenge you and your team to break with convention. They will encourage you to develop ideas that will resonate with your customers in a meaningful way. 
visit www.seedcards.com or www.seedcards.pl to download a free sample. Get inspired to create unique experiences for your customers. So hey guys, we've got a special offer for you. For listeners of the Block Thinking Podcast, we have a special 10% discount on the Polish and English versions of Seed Cards. All you have to do is go to Gazette Trenera Pel and use the promo code Block Thinking. That is B-L-O-C space thinking and you'll get 10% discount on your purchase. Now, let's get back to the show. Dude, as a, as a kind of a piece of advice for someone who's like listening to us like babbling on our experiences on, is there something simple that you think that someone could apply tomorrow to a design? Like let's say, maybe it's a, I mean, let's make it tough. It's maybe a digital design or uh, a digital experience that you create or maybe it's like some pop-up or something you create. Is there something that someone could keep in mind? So the three things that we talked about are, are important and I, I don't think I can say like, oh, just do one of those. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that I was thinking, if, if I was just saying like one like piece of advice, um, something that I love that's kind of like a mantra of mine is pay me with your smiles. So like the thing with service design is people expect service, yeah. right? They expect the food to come out hot. They expect the food to taste nice. Um, what they, what, so because of that, it's not necessarily an experience that's going to make you smile. That's what they expected and they got what they expected. If they get less than they expected, they'll be pissed. But if they get like, if their food is like better tasting than they thought, like, oh, like, that's great. But I was just thinking like, pay me in smiles. If you're designing an experience tomorrow, a digital experience, what's something that's part of that digital experience that you could change or tweak or maybe make a little bit different that when someone looks at it, they're going to be like, wow, like that was super cool. That was not ordinary. That was not something that that every other website does. It was not just purely for functionality, but it was like, wow, that was cool. And I can't think of a good, uh, I don't know, digital example of that, you know, but. Yeah, I, I think I'll latch on to that and I'll, I'll share a story. I mean, this is your interview, but I wanted to share this with you because yesterday we, we went through a process. I mean, you were facilitating, I was observing, so I was the lucky guy. Mm-hmm. But you, you, you guys went through a process where the participants had to or design these immersive experiences for each other, right? And there was friction and it was tough and there was timelines and time spans and, and, it, and a lot of very immersive elaborative experiences kind of played out during the rest of the day and I was really tired after the day and kind of uh, we, we take a break after a long day and we, we go to the bar and we, we kind of have our free time in the castle and everybody's roaming and I was walking with my wife and just before we entered the dungeon bar to go find Andrew there was this tray standing at the entrance of the bar and it had these 3D glasses on it and it said just a simple handwritten note like put the glasses on and look behind the door and because I'm an idiot <laughs> we, I mean I pop on the glasses and I'm going like what door because there was like three doors yeah. and I hear this door <laughs> so we crack open the door because and we crack it open and there was a guy in a cloak yeah. And now he's standing with these 3D glasses on and his face is covered and he just opens up the cloak. Now he's now we're having these 3D glasses on and he's got this 3D bodysuit on and it looked like we could see straight through him. 
And for me, after this long day of all these elaborative experiences that people were like really designing and like, I know people were really injecting their lives into it. Yeah. In that simple, like 10 second moment of just having this crazy little experience on the way to the bar, I thought, this is awesome. Like, this yeah. is really like, this is the moment, probably the highlight of my day. Mm-hmm. Not to discount the work that you guys have done, right? No, but, not at all. I saw it too, man. Like, yeah. I, it was insane. And, and so I think good. like sometimes we forget about the, the small things that, and I like what you say, it's like what makes you smile. Yeah. I mean, if you think about that experience, it, it cost basically nothing, yeah. right? Like you said, it was a handwritten note, some black lights, some acrylic glow paint yeah. and a robe and a good attitude. Yeah. And, and he just stood there, but everyone that I saw do that was blown away and loved it. Yeah. And you know, then they went on to do other things, but it was just awesome. It's and it like, stuck. It stuck with me. Like yeah. I actually went over to him today and like just gave him a hug. I said, "Dude, you made my day." Yeah. Yeah. Gather around, kids. It's story time. But part of this podcast, right, is that we have this little challenge, right? I've got these design cards here, yeah. and, and this is the first time I can actually do it in person. I usually have to do this digitally and then lie about drawing cards, but now you can see the cards, right? Mm. Um, I'm not Leon, I'm not doing magic, but um, this is one of my magician friends. But I want you to draw one. And the idea is, is that I want you to tell us a story. It could be a lie, it could be truth. Um, answering the question on that card or that challenge on that card. And if you can read the challenge, of course, it would help as well. So the card says, describe a big event in your life. <laughs> this is appropriate, maybe, because we're at the college, right? So, and this has a good lesson, I think. Um, and I'm going to start with the lesson. The lesson is, which I think is biblical, but we're not going to talk about religion on this podcast. But it's ask and you shall receive, right? Yeah. You should ask for things. Because if you, do, if you do ask, then the worst thing that can happen is they can say no. And if you don't ask, then you'd never know. So uh, when the card, you know, says describe a big event in your life. So two years ago, uh, with the inaugural event of the College of Extraordinary Experiences, I got an email from a colleague that said, you know, look at this event that I'm attending. And uh, it was this link for the College of Extraordinary Experiences. And I clicked the link and I looked at it and I thought it was a joke because it was literally everything that I like knew and loved and put time and passion into was this conference. It was this like amazing experience design thing. But then as I scrolled down, I looked at the price and the price at the time was 5,000 euro, not including flights. And of course, as a graduate student at the time with a small family, there was no way, right? There was no way that that would ever even be possible. But um, at the bottom under that, it said, it said, we choose our participants very carefully. Like, please email us if you're interested in attending. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to email them. Like, what's the worst that could happen, right? So I emailed them, and one of the co-founders, Paul Blinchea, I don't actually know how to say his last name. I struggled as well. Anyways, but Paul emailed me back, and we had this you know, discussion, essentially, that said, how do you feel like you could you know, add value, maybe? I, well, I guess my first question to him was, I can't afford this. Is there any type of scholarship? You know, it is college, after all, the scholarships. He said, well, let's talk about like how you might be able to add value. And we, you know, we had some discussion back and forth about how I might be able to help out or facilitate and add value, et cetera. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, he said, okay, I'll, we'll get you a scholarship. If you can, um, get a plane ticket here in the next couple of days, then 
then we'll get you a scholarship. And so to make a long story short, I went to the college for that first year. I met Werner and my life changed, right? Werner didn't change my life, obviously. But, <laughs> but literally everything that happening has, has formed my life in so many ways. Uh, I mean, this is the third time that I've been back. L- literally 80%, probably more of the people that I interact with on a daily basis via email, text, or Facebook, or any other types of communication mm-hmm. are people that I've met at the College of Extraordinary Experiences. People who have written letters of recommendation, people who I just like intrinsically enjoy talking to and spending time with. Like my friends, my friends are from here. The way that I look at the world has been greatly and deeply influenced by what I've learned here and the people that I know from here. Um, And so when we think about a big event in my life, that was one of the biggest events in my life. It's crazy how if you haven't asked for it, you, you, you might not have experienced it. Yeah, I mean, I have... My life, I think, would be radically different yeah. right now had I not gotten that email and just gone out on a limb and said, like, hey, you know, can I come, essentially? Um, radically, radically different. And I think it's also, like, I mean, for me, this event itself is, like, a bit, you know, I've also gone through a bunch of changes myself, but it's, yeah. like, this has been, like, I remember walking the castle. I mean, you, you, you came to pick us up, actually, and that's why I yeah. met you. And it's kind of it has been kind of a tipping of the domino of all the kind of crazy things that happened since. And, like, this community that's created here around the College of Extraordinary Experiences, I echo what you're saying. I think it is a big event. And, uh, yeah, I just value the fact that I met you here and uh, all the stupid things, things that we will be doing for the rest of the day. I'm looking forward to that. But Andrew, before I close this down, right, is there any, like when you look at your experiences, and I mean, of course, you're still shaping, you're shaping experiences, aren't you shaping your future? Is there any specific mentors or people or something that you value that has guided you on this path? Yeah, I mean, so my mentor for most of my undergrad and my bachelor's degree, or and my master's degree was Matt Durden. That's D-U-E-R-D-E-N. Um, I got to meet him at the first college. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Great so he was guy. there. Yeah. Super good guy. Not only is he just a great person in general, he's just at the forefront of experience design, research, teaching, etc. He's really doing good things. And my mentor right now, Gary Ellis at Texas A&M University, uh, is also really great. He's he's just given me so many opportunities. Um, and... Uh, And, uh, I mean, Joe Pine, right? Pine and Gilmore at the Express calling me. Um, I remember very vividly sitting in a class at Brigham Young University when we read a couple of chapters out of the experience economy. And I just remember it clicking right then, very vividly. I remember exactly where I was sitting in the auditorium where I realized, like, this is it. This makes perfect sense. Like, we need to be designing better experiences for people. And they were talking about the progression of coffee, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's just been huge. Those, those three people. And I mean, and then at the first college I got to drive to Prague and pick up Joe Pine and drive with him, you know, and talk with him while he came to the college and it was just like insane full circle. But I think those three people are probably the most influential in everything that I have become as a scholar or an experience designer or whatever it is. And then uh, for us uh, readers out there, was there a book or two that you could recommend for us to go check out? Oof, yeah, definitely. So The Power of Moments is one that's been really good. It's uh, Heath and Heath, I think, are the authors. Um, That one's super good. Um, 
Shameless plug, Matt Durden is also putting out a book soon. It Jeez. should, uh, yeah, it should be published early 2019. Experience design. Yeah, so it's like the, ex- I believe it's going to be the new experience design, like Bible, essentially. It covers tons of crucial stuff about personas and touch points and intentional design. It's fantastic. Like I've read the manuscript. Um, Joe Pine has done the forward for it. Like it's really, really good stuff. So be watching for that. Um, I think it's coming out on Columbia Business Press, maybe. But yeah, so that's I can recommend that without it being published yet, I guess, because I've read it. So and then that's it. What's next for you, dude? What's happening? What's next for me, man? I mean, so I am going to defend my dissertation in like a week when I get home. Um, And uh, I'm applying for jobs right now. So I've got a job application in at Brigham Young University at that Department of Experience Design and Management. Good luck. Uh, So you want to stay in academia, right? The reason that I like academia so much is because it gives me an opportunity to research right to like get into the theory and the and to build some of that credibility it also allows me to teach which i love doing to like help people understand like why this is so powerful and then it also gives me an opportunity via research to design right i can like design stuff or work with practitioners or other designers to design cool things and then look at it and say why did this happen this way and how can we make it better or whatever so. Dude, and if uh, people want to reach out to you or follow you or just uh, get hold of you and see what you're up to, what way would the best way to do that? Yeah, I mean, I'm on Facebook, Andrew Lacanienta, and uh, I'm on Instagram at drew.lock, L-A-C. Dude, and then I think you've got some stuff to do, right? And you spend some time with me here in the castle talking, and we'll talk more, and yeah. we'll probably go to the dungeon bar. I think we need to revisit that one more time. So that's last night, so, you know, we don't... It's. Yeah, we need it's to make a non-sleep it. night. Yeah. And we, there, there is a, for the listeners, there is an alter ego called Dark Andrew. And I think he's waiting for us in the dungeon bar. Yeah, Dark Andrew is going to come out on, you know, yeah. the, another podcast probably. It's been a great three years spending time with you at the College of Extraordinary Experiences. And of course, we're putting hopefully a, a reunion together. Yeah. I learn from you every time we meet. Good things and bad things. But dude, I just want to say thank you very much for spending the time and uh, catch you at the next castle. Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Werner. Thanks for listening to Block Thinking. You can find more information and the show notes for this episode at www.blockthinking.com. That is blockthinking without the K. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on iTunes or any of your favorite podcast platforms. We thrive on critique, so feel free to leave comments on iTunes or get hold of us directly. Thanks for listening. And the idea is, is that I want you to tell us a story that could be a lie, could be truth, um, answering the question on that card or that challenge on that card. And if you can read the challenge, of course, it would help as well. It says, ask a question of your choice to another player. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, Werner, I want you to... Can you tell me a story? (laughs) Can I tell you a story? Let's try one more. Okay. Okay.